So we were averaging $2 million a month. And now we're averaging, you know, over $40 million a month on production. So when an investor calls us, they don't have to worry about getting the response of, we don't have the funds available for you. We're always ready and willing and able to get these deals closed for you. You're listening to The Azria Show. If you're looking for quality real estate investing information that you can trust, you've found it. Stay tuned and join the tens of thousands of members that have already benefited from Azria, your home for education, market information, support, and networking opportunities that will advance your real estate investing career. Hello, 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 Azria family. How are you guys doing today? Today is a very great day for me, myself. I'm having an excellent day. How about you, Mike? How are you doing? Wonderful. Wonderful. We got Mike, wonderful. And then we have our very special guest, Mark Steinbeck of Merchants Funding. How are you doing today, Mark? Doing great. Another great day here in the Valley. All right. Great, great. So we're all great. Hopefully you guys are great. The purpose of this podcast today is we're going to talk about funding. You know, a lot of people need funding for deals, newer investors, as well as seasoned investors. Uh, You need money for deals because you can go out there and find the deals. But if you don't have the money, you can't do anything with it except for wholesale it. And then even with that, you probably don't want to wholesale some of these deals that have enough meat on the bone for you guys to do a fix and flip. So that's the reason why we brought Mark Stein back on today. So Mark, let's just kind of jump right in. Tell us, introduce us to Mark Steinbeck. Sure. I'm Mark Steinbeck with Merchants Funding, and we're a private money, hard money lender. We're based out of Denver, but I've been down here in the Phoenix market and Arizona market over 19 years now. So it's been long enough that I feel like this is home and I can almost claim myself to be a native down here. Our whole focus is providing the financing for you investors to get your deals done. Everything we do is investor focused. We don't do conventional business. We don't do long-term financing. It is short-term investment financing. Well, a good thing about it, Mark, because before we got on air, we had asked you, you know, are you currently investing yourself? And you are a real estate investor. So it's not like you're just coming from one side of the aisle where it's just money, 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 but you know, on the back end, what it takes to be an investor. How important is that for you to know the ins and outs of investing when providing these loan products? It's very instrumental in the way our whole philosophy is, is we understand the needs of the investors. We understand the fact that you need to be able to close quickly on these transactions to take advantage of the opportunities that are provided to you. We understand that, you know, you may as a, as a solopreneur and an individual investor, or even somebody that's very seasoned in investing and, and holds a number of properties, you probably don't fit into the conventional lending world box. You don't have the, all of the reserves that conventional lenders are looking for. You don't have the, the tax returns. You don't have all of that kind of stuff that the conventional world is looking for. And that's the reason why we're in our business is to help those investors be able to take advantage of those opportunities. We offer very investor-friendly underwriting. In fact, when it comes to underwriting a transaction, for us, it's really a simple online application We will pull credit just to get a feel for what the investor and their history looks like, but it's not so score-driven like a conventional lender is, again. And we want to see some bank statements just so we can understand where the down payment funds are coming from. 
and you know have an understanding of their financial picture. But very, very simple debt to income underwriting guidelines are virtually non-existent in the way we're looking at transactions. Because of that pared down documentation that we need to get from the client, it makes it easier for them to work with us because they're working with us on a repetitive basis. Once we get an application package in, that package will work for us from transaction to transaction. You're not having to recreate the wheel, fill out an application for every single transaction. Once we've got a client that's working with us, really, I'll get a contract from them. I'll get a rehab budget if they're doing a fix and flip. And maybe I'll get an updated bank statement from them if it's been a while since we've had information from them. But we make it as simple as possible for the investor to get through our process. And then we streamline everything to where we can get things closed in a week or so is our typical closing transaction time. Wow. Okay. So you have a question. Yeah. Yeah. So to kind of go back a little bit on credit, right? So that usually gets people a little bit nervous. So it's, it's the loan's not based on the credit, but maybe I'm assuming it, it it's based for the interest rate that you give them. It, it is primarily just kind of the, the structuring of the, the pricing of the deal. And, and I'll go back to something that our founder told me years ago that, you know, the credit scores and the, the, the way that conventional lenders will look at credit is not what we want to be looking at because the scores don't tell the whole picture. You know, you could be somebody brand new and you just opened up two or three credit cards and, you know, you've, you've got a spotless credit history, but you really don't have any real history behind you because everything was opened three to six months ago. What we look at is, is the way that Mr. Gold explained it to me many, many years ago. We just want to make sure we're not dealing with axe murderers. That was his yeah. quote that he said. And it's always stuck with me is that we want to just understand we're dealing with a good borrower. They've got history. They've got experience. And they're going to make this transaction work. Yeah. So <laughs> we do look at the scores a little bit, but it's an overall view of the transaction. Because that was my thing when I first started, right? I, I didn't have bad credit. I just didn't have enough enough history, like you said. So exactly, if you have a low score, don't let that stop you from calling Mark or you know going to get a loan. Let them make that decision and, and look at your report. So exactly, and if it's somebody that's a new investor and maybe, like you said, is a little bit weaker on the on the credit aspect of it, you know, most likely we're still going to get the deal put together. Maybe we want to see a little bit more down payment or, you know, we, we adjust the pricing a little bit, but again, it's still going to be very investor friendly and help you get into the game because that's, you know, for a new investor, the hardest thing is to get that first deal under your belt. Once you've closed a deal, now you've got that mindset of, I can do this. I can make it work. And getting the second and the third and subsequent deals are so much easier because one, you've got a little bit of track history. You've got some record of what you've been able to do. You've made some profits off the deal. So your financial situation looks stronger, but mentally you're better prepared to do these deals. Okay. Now you said something, Mark, earlier that I just wanted to kind of jump in on and get some clarity on because you said you guys are private money slash hard money lenders. And I know private money and hard money are two completely different things. Can you clarify that, that statement for me? Didn't mean to put you on the spot, but just for my own sure. clarity. Yeah. It, you know, it's from my perspective, it's, it's always been kind of one in the same. And I think it's a little bit of the perception of what hard money is. I came from a banking background and 
hard money was kind of the old school pay me back or I'm going to break your kneecap kind of. I want that. (laughs) Exactly. And so I personally have always been a little bit hesitant to use the hard money terminology. Okay. When I say private money or hard money, it's really just because we look at the transaction from more of an asset basis and less on that full underwriting like a conventional lender does. You know, we're very familiar with the investor, very comfortable with the investor, and you can call it anything that you really want, you know, but it, it's the lender that can be able to perform quickly for you and somebody that you can count on yep. to get your yep. deals closed. Great, great, great clarity. And I did wanted to clarify that for some of the newer listeners that quite don't quite understand the difference between hard money and and private money. So just wanted to and, clarify. And I that. would also add a lot of times your private money is going to be more of your private network, yep. your friends and your family, the people that are within your circle. And maybe you know, you know, you've got that great uncle who's retired and he's got money sitting in an IRA account. And he funds your transactions. Private money usually is much more limited in in their ability to be able to fund transactions. We are a little bit, and I hate to say this word, but a little bit more institutional in the aspect of, I can tell you we're close to being an unlimited source of funds. I mean, we do have limitations on our bank lines and our credit facilities that we've got available to you. But the fortunate thing is, I don't have to have a client call me and tell me they've got to close a deal, you know, within the next week. And my, you know, you, you'll hear these stories about, they call their, their traditional lender that they've always used the, their, their go-to source and their funds are all out right now. Mm -hmm. And the last thing an investor wants to hear is we'd love to do your deal, but we're waiting for some payoffs that are supposed to be coming in. We're expecting payoffs by the end of the month and you know, maybe we can get your deal done in two or three weeks. Well, you, you need the deal closed this week. So you don't want to be in that, in that realm where you have a limit to what you can, can get done. And so you know, this will be the, the point where I will brag a little bit about what we're doing at Merchants Funding is this year, and I, I just confirmed this, that we're going to be north of uh, a half billion dollars that we've funded this year across all of our markets. So that's $500 million that we put out to investors just in 2021. And to put that into perspective, when I first started with the company 22 years ago, our first year, we did $24 million over the course of the year. So we were averaging $2 million a month. And now we're averaging you know, over $40 million a month on, on, on production. So Amazing. when an investor calls us, they don't have to worry about getting the response of, we don't have the funds available for you. We're, we're always ready and willing and able to get these deals closed for you. So you guys are the golden ticket. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. So let me ask you this, Mark, because you said you've been doing this for you know, 22 years plus as a investor that never done a deal with you guys, never came to you asking for credit, a line of credit or anything like that. What should we have prepared before we even contact you or sit down with you? That way, you know, as some people are proactive, they can say, all right, well, I have everything prepared. Let me go to Mark and see if I can get this loan. What should we have prepared prior to? Exactly. It's, for us, 
An underwriting package is pretty simple. The things that we typically will ask for is, is a simple online application that's through our secured website, merchantsmtg.com. We ask for current bank account, investment account statements, just so we can get an understanding again of where the, the down payment's coming from and what their financial picture looks like. And that's really it from an underwriting standpoint. Okay. We'll get a copy of their driver's license so we can document the file with that. And then if they're going to be purchasing in the name of a corporation or an LLC, we'll ask to get their corporate documents. But that's not even something that we need to have upfront. A lot okay. of times what I'll do is I'll get the application from the client. They don't even have a project in mind, but they want to get pre-approved. And we're always glad to do that for new investors um, or somebody that's looking to make a change from their current lender is they want to know that is merch is going to be available for us. So we'll get that application from them run them through on a pre-approval basis, have them fully approved from an underwriting standpoint that we're comfortable with working with them as a client. And then once they're pre-approved, the next step is get a property under contract and get us their purchase agreement and their rehab budget so we can get everything moving forward to close. So we, we don't require a lot of documentation up front. And even then, once we've got them pre-approved, it's just get the contract in, let's get it closed. And, and, and Mark, I noticed, um, I know a lot. So if someone's working with an agent in order to go shopping, they always want to prove funds. Uh, once they're fully underwritten, will you provide that for the investor? Exactly. Here in Arizona, we will use the Arizona uh, Association of Realtors pre-qualification form. And this is something that I always like to, to point out to my investor clients is that the pre-qualification letter, it doesn't have a lot of clout. There's always ways that somebody could you know, back out of that mm -hmm. as a commitment. But from what I tell my investor clients is, I'm going to give you this pre-qualification because that's what your agent and that's what the listing agent wants to see when you're submitting an offer on a property. But from your perspective as an investor, you need to know that we have done all of our due diligence on you as the investor you are pre-approved. It's more than a pre-qualification where we think you would qualify for a transaction. We've gotten you fully pre-approved and you're ready to go out and write your offers with confidence, knowing that outside of something just being totally off on the numbers of the project, you're pre-approved and we're going to get that deal closed. And this is the most important part because Yes, I love when people just go out and start making offers, but if you're going to flip a property or buy and hold, you've got to know you, your lender's terms. You've got to know your down payment. You've got to know your interest rate, your monthly payment, so you can calculate and write the proper offer. So you definitely want to get with a, a lender first thing. Exactly. Because again, when you're investing in real estate, it all comes down to the numbers on the deal. Yeah. And with fix and flips, which is the bulk of what our transactions are, you, you kind of want to start on the back end and then you move up to come up with what your maximum allowable offer is. You got to know what, it's, what you're going to be able to sell the property for and then back out all those costs. Your hold time, your, your holding costs, your loan costs, your rehab costs. And then that will eventually give you, and, and also you need to take into account the profit that you want to make from the deal because that's why we're all doing the investing. Yep. And then that will tell you, okay, here's what I can offer to pay on this property. Love it. That's yeah, that's a, that's that's great because that was going to be my next question is qualifying the asset in order to be funded. So, you know, you hear a lot of people say, 
you know, you have to have at least a 30% margin in there. What are you guys looking for if we bring an asset to you? Let's just say on a fix and flip side, you know, are you looking for what kind of margins are you looking in there in order to Here's kind of the, the way asset? that we will look at transactions. And these are the simple numbers that we use on a regular basis is most of our transactions are at 90% of project cost. So that's 90% of your purchase price and your renovation costs. We build that together into our loan fund the improvements with the transaction. And we want to be no more than 90% of cost upfront. And then we want to be no more than 75% against the after repair to the ARV value of the property. So we, we will look at those two numbers. And the, the good thing is in the strong market that we're in right now, um, I, I, I can't remember the last time we ran into an issue where the property didn't appraise out on an ARV basis, just because of what we're seeing going on in the marketplace. And, and a lot of times between the point of purchase today and when they're going to sell the market in or sell the property in three to four months, they've seen such market appreciation in the market that even though we were at a 70 or 75% loan to value against the property, when we originated the loan, when they get ready to sell the property, we're probably more like a 60, 65% loan to value against that property. So that enhances the profit margin for the client, you know, and just makes the deal better. I always tell people, you want to look at things on a conservative basis. And if the numbers work out on a worst case basis, you know, we're, we're, you don't want to count on, you know, some unexpected gift. Right. If, right. if the project, the numbers make sense on a worst case basis, and then you can be pleasantly surprised. Everybody comes out looking good. Basically, be conservative and let the market, the current market, do what the current market do. And that's run up appreciation. Exactly. Yep. Okay. And that's something that we're seeing right now is, you know, we, we, you read the headlines and, you know, I, I don't want investors to think that there's anything wrong with the market that we're in right now because the headlines are saying, you know, the market's slowing and this and that. But the truth of the matter is, it's not that the market is slowing down. Things are still selling extremely quick and people are getting many times above ask prices for their properties. It's just that the appreciation on a year over year or month over month basis is slowing down. But gotcha. that isn't necessarily a bad thing from an investor standpoint and a market standpoint because we want to have long-term sustainable growth not booms and bust cycles. Got it. So, so let's jump in a little bit too, because you said a couple of things about construction loans. I thought that was interesting. How about you just tell us about some of your products you offer? Sure. As I said, the, the bulk of what we do right now is fix and flips. We do offer uh, a shorter term, two or three year loan for the investors that are buying and holding. Maybe it's something that you want to acquire the property and you're going to do a fix and flip up front but rather than sell the property, you want to hold on to it either as a rental or what we're seeing a lot of right now is a continuation of that vacation rental market where they need some interim financing to hold that property and to be able to prove what the income is from that property from a vacation rental. So we do offer the interim mortgage, but the bulk of what we do is for the fix and flip investor. And that's where we're providing acquisition money and the renovation or construction money. And a lot of times 
what we're seeing kind of got two different markets that are going on right more of the outline areas where it's newer construction more track style developments there that's where we're seeing more of the cosmetic renovations it's a property that was built 10 20 years ago and just needs a cosmetic refresh the cabinetry looks dated the flooring needs to be all updated. Maybe the landscaping and, and the paint uh, scheme on the house needs to be updated. So those are what I say is more of the cosmetic renovations. It's really just making the property look nice for today's buyer because the floor plan is still functional. It still fits the needs of what uh, today's home buyer are, they're, they're looking for. So that's typically what we're seeing more in the outline areas where it's Newer construction has been pushed to the periphery of the city, mm -hmm. and we're seeing those deals there. On the more interior locations, something like, let's say, a downtown Phoenix or an Arcadia market, South Scottsdale, what we're seeing in those markets of the fix and flips are not so much just the cosmetics. Obviously, they're going to make the property look nice, but mm -hmm. they're also doing the value add, okay. building out the back end of the house to create a master suite in something that was built in the 1950s or 60s where we didn't have a true master suite like we have or like what today's buyers are looking for. So they'll blow out the back of the house, reconfigure the space in the house to add value by creating that extra level of uh, finish to the house and make it fit for today's buyers. Again, we'll go back to that house that was built in the 60s. Typically you had a kitchen, that was separate from the living area, which is separate from the dining area. Today's buyers, they don't want to see that. They want the you know, open spaces. They want the rooms to flow into one another. So we'll see clients that are removing walls, buildings or putting in supporting beams to, to open up spaces and create that functional flow that today's buyers are looking for. And then again, obviously update all of the aesthetics of the house. So let me ask you this, Mark, uh, real quick. So as far as like ground up new development with infield lots, let's just say mm -hmm. a South Scottsdale and North Phoenix, and we find a lot, we yes. get the lot for a really good price. How is your funding for ground up new development with infield lots? Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up because we do ground up construction. On the fix and flips, again, we're probably at 90% of project costs. On the ground up construction, you know, we're going to want to see maybe a little bit more uh, equity into the deal. But okay. as a general rule, and this is something for investors to always be thinking about, if you're looking at ground up construction, your lot cost, your land cost, the site itself should probably be between 20 and 25% of your total project cost. Mm, okay. And then when we're looking at it from an underwriting standpoint, a lot of times what we'll have is clients that will come to us, they've bought and paid cash for the lot because it's something that they found. And, you know, a lot costs, it's a lot easier to pay $50,000 for a lot than $250,000 for an entire project. Mm -hmm. So they'll come into us, have purchased the lot free and clear. That's their equity contribution into the transaction. And then we're fully funding the construction costs on that. Wow. And okay. one of the things that is, is really an advantage of working with merchants, whether it's the construction side, which is this is kind of the norm, but also on the fix and flip side, is that 
our investor clients aren't paying interest on their renovation funds or their construction funds until they've actually taken those draws, until they have made the request to get an advance for their, their renovation money, they're not paying interest on that. So if, if they've got a $60,000 renovation budget, they're not paying interest on that $60,000 until they do the draws. Ground up construction, if they've got a two or $300,000 construction budget, up front, they're not paying any interest payments because they haven't done any advances. And then as they do the construction and as our loan amount, the outstanding increases, that's when they start paying interest on the construction okay. money. So they're um, just basically paying interest on the money that they use. Exactly. Okay. And, and with a fix and flip project or for a construction project as well, if you budgeted based on what you're expecting to be able to spend, but maybe you find some discounts somewhere, you find some closeout for some flooring that, that fits what you're looking for, or you realize some cost savings somewhere along the line. If you never advance those monies, then they never cost you anything and your payoff is not going to include those funds. Okay. So, so a question. So since there's more of that ground up going on, the value adds, and since it's a lower supply, I'm also noticing an amazing transition with mobile homes. So do you deal in that world? Like you found it in a lot and you want to bring like a, a newer mobile home onto the lot, would you do those projects? That one gets to be a little bit tricky because, you know, anybody that works in that realm, they understand that until the house, the mobile home, the manufactured home is brought to the site and not only permanently affixed to the land, yeah. but it also has to be legally affixed to the land. It's, it's personal property. So that home initially is just like your automobile. It's just yeah. got a title to the to the to the to the house, just like you have a title to your car. For us, for the manufactured housing, it needs to be permanently and legally affixed to the land for us to be able to lend on it. And that's like what the uh, the conventional world is. So if you were doing a flip on the property, it needs to be that for your end buyer to be able to get conventional financing. And then there's also some other restrictions on it as far as the age and the fact that it has to be, typically it's, it has to be a double wide unit, that kind of thing. So we will look at those. We're not as aggressive on those and not, um, you know, there, there are more limitations on those than, than what we're looking at either in the single family or, you know, from us, we'll lend on condos, we'll lend on townhomes, We'll lend on single family. We'll lend on the one to four family because again, all of those product types, the end buyer can get conventional financing. And then we will also look at the true multifamily, something that's five units and up. We'll look at those as well, just knowing that the investor that buys that property, whether they want to hold on to it or sell it, they're not going to have the conventional world to be able to go to, to get long-term financing it's going to be more of a commercial mortgage. Okay. Well, what I want to do now, real quick, Mark, let's take a brief break. And when we come back, let's talk about some of those long-term hold products that you have outside of just the fix and flip um, sure. products. So let's take a brief break. We'll be right back with Mark Stein back of Merchant Funding. Do you need to close more deals? The answer is, then you need to call more motivated sellers. 
How do you do this? Skip tracing. Skip tracing gives you the access to the telephone numbers and email addresses of distressed property owners all across the country. Whether you're looking for vacant houses, foreclosed houses, tax delinquent properties, skip tracing can help you get in touch with those hard to find homeowners so you can write those offers. We recommend BatchSkipTracing.com. Batch Skip Tracing has consistently delivered the highest quality results in the real estate industry. You simply upload your leads to BatchSkipTracing.com, apply coupon code ASREA, that's A-Z-R-E-I-A, at checkout, and receive 15 cent skip traces. That's BatchSkipTracing.com, apply coupon code ASREA at checkout for 15 cent skip traces. Okay, guys, we are back. And today we're talking all about funding. And we have one of our close business associates with us on today, Merchant merchant Funding. And we have Mark Steinbeck on today. So, Mark, we talked about, you know, fix and flip capital, fix and flip products. Now, what about something that you have for some of the longer term hold, some of the investors that's looking to get into some of the smaller multifamilies, two, three, four, five units and, or just a single family, you know, rental that they want to hold. What kind of products do you guys offer for that investor? Sure. For that investor, for that product, we offer up to a three-year loan term and it's an interest only payment while that property uh, is, or while that loan is outstanding with us. So it, it helps them be able to manage their cash flows because it's just strictly the interest that um, has accrued the prior month. And it allows the investor to get into the property, document and report the income from that property so they can go get conventional financing, whether that be Fannie Freddie conventional mortgage, or if Mm -hmm. it's five units and up to be able to go get a a commercial mortgage to, to own that property. So what we do is, again, our flexible underwriting. When we're looking at the transaction, maybe this is a first time investor. And they don't have other rental properties. They don't have the history to be able to support that. And they may have saved up some cash and they're ready to go start investing. But from a conventional lender standpoint, the conventional lender wants to see, is your W-2 pay stub enough to support a mortgage on your primary residence and all of your other personal debts? And then secondly, will you be able to cover the mortgage on this investment property. And again, that comes down to our investor-friendly underwriting mentality of we don't necessarily care that your pay stub isn't going to support this new mortgage. We know you're going to be running it out. We know you're going to have cash flow coming from the property. We know that the mortgage is going to get covered and you're going to be able to put some money in your pocket to cover any incidentals that come up as you own the property. So for the investor, We give that interim mortgage, allowing them to get into the property, show that it is cash flowing, have a rental agreement in place, have it reported on their tax returns so that when they go to do the refinance, they've got history on the property. They can show, here's what my expenses are, here's what my income is, and this is the reason why I own this investment property. Perfect. And that's that's excellent because Unless that entry level investor, like you said, show that history and show that, hey, this asset that I have is cash flowing. And then that way, when they go to get the long term finance and they can use the cash flow from that investment, plus their pay stubs to help them qualify for that long term loan. Exactly. Yeah. Again, it, it comes down to understanding the investor 
And from a conventional world, maybe it doesn't make sense because this is their first time property and, and maybe they don't have the income to support it. But again, that investor mentality, we understand the fact that there's a reason why you're buying this as an investment property. It's going to create cash flow for you to live on today. And then your long-term objective of the rental property, and this is the way that I look at my investment properties, is I'm buying and holding for the long-term because I'm going to take the long-term appreciation of this investment property, have a tenant pay down the mortgage, have the appreciation of the asset, and eventually it's going to be a retirement asset for my wife and I. When we're ready to retire, these properties are going to be paid for free and clear, and it's all going to be cash flow. And the majority of the investors, no matter who they are, you know, if they're fixing and flipping or wholesaling or anything like that, they're all looking for that kind of money. They, they're looking for the rental passive income because who wants to work for money when you can have an asset that brings money to you? So that's, that's a great point to make there, Mark. Yeah. And we see a lot of investor clients of ours do this, this process of they'll kind of, kind of what I see a lot of times is we'll see people that will start out as wholesalers. And they find the deals and they make a little bit of money as they turn it over to the investor that's going to eventually rehab the house, hold on to it as a rental, whatever the case is. So you do that, you build up some cash reserves. And then you start doing a few flips. And you flip property or two or three, and you build up more cash reserves. And then you find that deal that, okay, I'm going to buy this one, I'm going to update it, and I'm going to turn it into a rental and maybe park some of my money on the side. And just like you said, that, that will build that passive income. Flipping and wholesaling creates income today. Yeah. Long-term rentals create income for the future, as well as providing cash flow today. But it's not going to be huge chunks of cash at a time like when you are wholesaling or flipping a property, doing the, the, the quick flips yeah. where you're turning the property over. That's where you're going to see a big payout, you know, but it's going to be sporadically. You know, if you flip a property every four months, you know, you get paid three times a year. When you're investing for the long term, you get paid a, a much smaller portion, but you get paid 12 times a year when you collect your rents. And then eventually those those uh, payments become larger and larger. And eventually then you can sell the property, do what you want to do. Great point. I, I, if I could switch a, a little direction. Sure. Um, so, so you, you have some wisdom, you have some seasoned experience in, in this world, right? So this is a more of a crystal ball question, <laughs> right? I know you have one, Mark. So, you know, one day in 2000, whatever it was, you know, eight-ish, right? One day, everything was wonderful. And one day, next day, it wasn't, right? So, you know, there's a, that's a lot of the talk right now as well, right? You know, when will this end? This isn't sustainable, you know, and, and maybe there's some people out there nervous to go take that fix and flip because they think something's going to happen or go buy that rental because they don't want to pay for the top price. You know, what's your just thoughts on that? No specific answer. Just where are you at in that whole conversation? You know, there, from a headline standpoint, I, I mentioned it earlier, you know, the market's cooling, you know, we're, yeah. we're in for a slowdown, that kind of stuff. But I, I see us in still a strong long-term market. And, and the great thing about if you're wholesaling or you're fixing and flipping a property, 
you don't have to project out what is the market going to be two years from now, five years from now, 20 years from now. All you're looking at is, can I be comfortable with where we're headed in the next three to six months? And even though we've seen the appreciation slow down slightly from the peaks that we saw earlier this year, we're still seeing positive movement in pricing. And the underlying dynamics of the market that we're in right now is we've got people continuing to move here. So we've got demand that is not stopping. And we've still got a very limited supply. So the law of supply and demand says, you know, that if you're seeing increase in demand and you've got a limited supply, we're still going to see appreciation. Now, maybe that is going to slow down because we've seen some more homes come on the market and we're seeing a little bit larger availability of homes right now, but the demand is still there. The demand is still strong. People are still moving here. People want to live here because of everything that we offer. And it's not just the climate when we used to be such a seasonal market of having snowbird visitors for Mm -hmm. three or four months of the year. And then they would move out for the summer and everything was, you know, was, was gone. We're, we're not seeing that so much in the marketplace because we're seeing a much more diversified demographic in the, in the communities that we're in. And then we're also seeing strong job demand. You know, people are relocating businesses here. And it's not just small businesses, it's large businesses. And we're continuing to see the technology fields grow. That's bringing people here. You know, we continue to see the influx of California investors and people that are just moving out of California coming here, as well as from other parts of the country. You know, yeah. Arizona is a great destination market for people to move to and invest in. So I'm comfortable with where we're at in the marketplace. And I expect it to be something that will continue in a positive market. You know, I'm don't expect also, like you said, 2008, when the market changed so rapidly and so deeply the change. I don't think we're going to see that happen again either because what fueled a lot of that boom and bust was the, I'll call it reckless lending mm-hmm. because there were so many people that were buying uh, homes and not just a home for their family or not just one rental. They were buying three, five, 10 properties, and they didn't have the resources available. They didn't have the down payment into the project. And and it was just irresponsible lending because some of the lending products that were out there as well that made it too easy for people to qualify. We went through that, and we've seen the conventional world want to see some sanity, really, when they're coming to underwrite transactions. They want to know that People have a job. They've got some money to be able to put down. And I think that in the long term will make our market stronger as well. You know, we're always going to have some people that situations change. There's family dynamics that change. There's job situations that change. And, you know, we went through that with COVID too. You know, the front end of COVID was a scary time for, for the real estate market. And we saw things drop off, but look how quickly we we rebounded. And came back even stronger. So the long-term dynamics for the real estate market across the country and specifically here in Arizona, I feel comfortable with. Awesome, man. Great answer. Perfect. Love the perspective. Perfect. 
All right. One last question for you, Mark, and then we'll wrap up. Kind of going back to what Mike was saying is about, about the changes in the market. How do you see inflation, our dynamics of inflation kind of changing, possibly some of your lending practices or you know, just lending in general? I know it's a, it's a pretty broad question, but you know, just give us what you can. <laughs> well, let, let me think back to, you know, my college days of having to study macroeconomics. Yep. But, you know, I, I think, you know, we, we've been experiencing strong in appreciation and that has benefited our investors when they go to sell the properties. The challenge to that is that obviously when you go to sell a property, your end buyer needs to be able to qualify for it. And we've been fortunate that you know we've seen the interest rates remain low, um, and that helps people to be able to to qualify and be able to afford a home. A lot of times, it makes it cheaper to buy a home than it is to rent a home. So you know all of those things continue to keep the real estate market solid as inflation hits every aspect of our life. It it, it is a little bit of a concern because you know, we've seen that from our investor clients. The cost of lumber went up tremendously during the last year, or let's just call it the COVID era. era. Yep. Uh, we've seen the challenges in the supply chain to be able to get appliances and windows and you know anything associated with the construction or the renovation of a home has increased you know, over the the last few months and and last year and a half, let's just call it. So that has impacted things, makes it a little bit more challenging for the investor when they can't re reliably count on if I go to my big box home supply store and I can't count on the cost of the cabinetry or my light fixtures mm -hmm. or my plumbing fixtures or my flooring to be consistent from the project that I just closed on and you know, was rehabbing three months ago, things changed right. dramatically in a three month period. So that's made things challenging. But again, the appreciation that we see on the back end with people being able to get more than what they expected when they sold the, when they initially got into the deal versus what they are selling it for, you know, that that's helped things out as well. So I think it's, it's one of those things that there's, not really an overly negative aspect or an overly positive to it. You know, it, it kind of keeps, keeps things balanced out a little bit. Okay, great. Awesome. Great. So guys, in a nutshell, just make sure when you're doing your due diligence, as far as your numbers, don't be too aggressive, still run your numbers on a conservative basis. And then if you get the appreciation, which more than likely you will, you know, just accept it. You know, but don't try and bake in that force appreciation, knowing that the market is continuing to rise, because at some point there's going to be a flattening. And we kind of welcome that because we want that stable market. So we'll know, hey, I did a flip three months ago. Cabinets were X and now I can go. And now cabinets are still X. So thank you, Mark. I really appreciate it, man. How can we find you? How can we get in touch with you? We know that you're a business associate, but Kind of where, where are you at? Your crossroads, telephone number, email, anything like that? Sure. Yeah. That's one of the things that, you know, we're very proud members of Azria. I was at the very first Azria meeting 18, 19 years ago now. I can't remember how long. It's been been a long time. So I was at the very first meeting. We've been proud business members 
throughout all of this. And you know, I'm always at the, the monthly meetings. So Excellent. stop by and talk to me there. I'm available a lot of times at the, the fix and flips and some of the other subgroup meetings as well. And then you can always contact me via email, msteinbeck at merchantsmtg.com. That's M-S-T-E-I-N-B-E-C-K at merchantsmtg.com or my cell, which is always available at 602-410-0845. Let's, you know, if you just, if you're new to this and you want to kind of get information, always glad to talk to new investors. You've got a deal that's on the table and you need to get things closed quickly. Contact me. We'll get that application process going. And again, if you're a new investor and you just want to get pre-approved, or if you're working with somebody else that you haven't been satisfied with, or you've run into some issues, you know, let's talk about your situation as well and get you moved over to working with merchants. Okay. Sounds great. Uh, Thank you so much, Mark. Also guys, they're at the corner of Scottsdale Road and Shea. So you can, you can also pop in there and go and see them. I'm sure Mark will definitely welcome you in. We've got our office here in Arizona in Scottsdale. And, you know, in addition to, I know we're focused in Asria working in Arizona, but because of our size, you know, we, we really cover a lot of the Western U.S. Okay. Uh, our corporate office is up in Colorado. That's where I started with and I relocated down here 19 years ago. We're here in Arizona. We're in California, Washington, Oregon. So we cover the West Coast. We're in Texas as well and a few other states, but those are our biggest markets. So no matter where you're investing at, let's see if we can work together. Okay. Sounds great. Mike, any last words? Yeah, yeah. Once again, Mark, you know, thanks for always being a valuable resource to the Azria members um, with information and most importantly, money. And then I, I really, truly think if you're listening to this podcast, there's a lot of golden nuggets dropped and this is probably worth listening to again. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> so absolutely. Check it out, man. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Thank you, you Mark. Glad really to talk to you guys. It. We'll see you soon. Okay, guys, you know what to do. You got the information. You have the resources. Make sure you see Mark at one of our monthly meetings. Get the information you need from him. That way he can help you expand your investing career and your portfolio. So as always, thank you, thank you, thank you. Marcus, my co-host, Mike, the executive director of Azria. And Mark, again, we thank you for being with us. You bet. Glad to be here. Thanks for listening to The Azria Show with your hosts, Marcus Maloney and Mike Delpreet. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you found this information valuable, head over to azria.org and learn more about our community.